everybody, welcome back to AWM Insights. It's your hosts, Brandon and Justin. We're missing Eric, but we'll carry you through today. As you know, each week we cut through the noise that Wall Street is trying to sell you, and we're trying to bring you the knowledge, skills, and access that you actually need to invest like a pro. And today we're gonna topic, uh, tackle a topic that's very interesting, volatility. It's been muted, but uh, just in case it starts to come back, we wanna make sure that everybody's ready to go. But before we do, let's recap what's going on in the markets. Well, it's, I think it's fair to say there's lots going on, uh, not just in the markets, but but around the world. And, and you know, one thing I love about finance is you can say everything uh, comes back into to the markets at one point or another. Uh, I think the biggest thing to highlight is is the uh, last couple of weeks in the market. U.S. markets have taken a little bit of a dip uh, over the last two weeks, and as of this recording. Um, Looking like we're going to close on the, with a second straight down week in the market. Interest rates are jumping, and really, um, investors are are pausing, looking at looking at some mixed economic data. Although it, you know the trend is still positive, it does seem to be weakening. Whether that's because of the Delta variant or just coming off of this incredible bounce from the bottom, you know who knows? The Fed's meeting next week that could be a big policy meeting. Uh, or, or big meeting with with some uh, critical policy announcements. So lots of kind of uncertainty uh, um, filtering out there, and you know, and also this is it, we've seen seven straight months of of, of um, appreciation in the market. So like we've mentioned, I think in the last couple of weeks, having a little bit of a pullback, and I mean we're talking pretty pretty low pullback so far is healthy for the markets. It's what you would expect. We're going to talk a little bit about volatility, right? That's part of investing, uncertainty, volatility, um, risk, if you will, which we've also talked about a lot. It just It's what you expect to put your money at risk, right, In, into the market. Um, then the big news, I think, for potentially is, is House Democrats coming out with a new tax plan. I think there's some pretty um, important data points within that. We'll see if it actually gets passed. You know, there's been a lot of talk around this whole topic since Biden has taken over and uh, nothing's really been able to get across the finish line on it yet. But, you know, this is somewhat of a compromise. So we'll see. Um, from a company standpoint, Microsoft coming out with uh a huge share buyback pro program, as well as increasing its dividends. So, pretty confident there. You know, there that that you could take that as a sign of confidence in it in the price of its um, of its shares, right? They're going into the market literally buying shares, bringing it back onto their balance sheet, um, and so they're they're confident in making that move. Then, and I uh, think real quick yeah. on on Microsoft too, Justin. I mean, to me, when I heard this, I thought it was fascinating, right? If you're one of these, you know, hear all these fear mongers that are out there, valuations are out through the roof. You know, you we got to be on the sideline, keep fresh capital. The you know, Fed's going to cut, market's going to decline, etc. But then you see Microsoft; they're they're not dumb, right? They're they know their company better than anybody. They're turning around and buying sixty billion dollars of their own stock. You know, I think. We'll get into this later, I know, but I'd just love a quick comment on, you know, this isn't this evidence on why it's so hard to time things and, oh, and try to pick things. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And not, not only is, is it a sign of that, but that's that's their largest repurchase ever, which is also a sign. We're not saying go out and buy Microsoft <laughs> along with them. I mean, we talk plenty about single company risk and and, you know, the, the uh, disadvantages of that. But yeah, it, it's it's a 
great point on how hard it is to to make a call one way or the other. I was reading something yesterday, a strategist from JP Morgan basically said the exact same thing. He's a strategist. This is his job. But he acknowledges, you know, kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth. Hey, it's incredibly hard to predict these things right now. This is kind of what I think. I'm bullish. But, you know. There, there's so many factors. A um, couple other really interesting things in the sports world. Roger Federer's uh, back shoe company on uh, went public at a $6 billion valuation. So uh, the athletic market, athleisure market, whatever you want to call it, um, is still very, very, very strong, clearly. Uh, Amazon coming out uh, and trying to recruit talent by offering college tuition at select schools for 700,000 employees. I mean, that's amazing. It's a it's a pretty tight labor market. We're not back to where we were pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. Um, and there's some interesting things going on there, but it, it it is certainly hard to find help and companies are trying to get creative in attracting um and attracting the the employers or employees that they need. Lastly, um, lots of news obviously this week, but lastly, I think it's 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 also worth pointing out how uh, how the U.S., U.K., and Australia are kind of coming coming at uh, China in a unified front. They came out with a huge security deal to really have that unified um, uh, force within the Pacific. Then China goes the the the, the next day and tries to join the Trans-Pacific uh, Trade. Uh, partnership as well. So lots of interesting things going on in the market, lots of interesting things going on geopolitically, um, as I'm sure we're all aware of. But uh, uh, how this all impacts the market, will volatility increase, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the the short answer is it's incredibly difficult to play that game. And we're going to talk through um, a little bit of, of why that is the case. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Justin. And and let's dig in there. I mean, I got a question earlier in the week from a client that was, hey, what's going on with the market today? Uh, and I kind of chuckle. And and to be fair, right, that's a that's a very valid question. It's it's uncomfortable, especially when we've seen kind of markets at all time highs, and then we see a day where the market declines, you know, 0.61%. I mean, that's a big move that generates some internal and then you start, you know, you click on Bloomberg, you click on Yahoo Finance and what's their job? Their job's to instill this anxiety and keep you there, right? So they can post all their ads. But, you know, when we look at stuff like that, it's like, okay, well, there was a, a positive retail sales print, you know, data release. And so it's like, oh, shoot, if, intuitively, I think, okay, that's got to be a good thing. Good thing for the economy, right? Um, but markets are down. So what's going on? Well, you have to extrapolate that good data now means that the Fed might end their bond buying purchase program. And that's related to interest rates. And so you have all this interwoven web, right? And so I think maybe speak a little bit about, I'd love your take on that. That just to me illustrated how incredibly difficult this is, is that it's not so simple as like, okay, you know, what actually makes the market go up? What makes the market go down? It's not always, oh, positive information, market goes up, negative information, market goes down. There's so many tangents that it all could take. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I the, the way I always try and think about it and or frame it in conversations is, is to, and you were alluding to it, is just think about this economic system or the, the financial system as a whole that we have both in the US and around the world. It is so incredibly complex. The number of variables that are, that are inputs to 
the outputs, right, which effectively are stock prices at the end of the day, at least what we're talking about right now, maybe bond prices in a different conversation or private company prices, but let's just stick with stock prices for this conversation. There are so many incredible variables that go into that equation. I mean, just to, to highlight a couple things that we've talked about which is barely scratching the service. Okay, well, Microsoft is seemingly bullish about their company. They're buying their stock. They are going into the market and buying their stock. Meanwhile, tensions are increasing within the Pacific Ocean region with the US, UK, Australia entering into this big security agreement for for the US to sell submarines to Australia, right? Tensions are escalating there. I mean, you know, let's Let's please hope that there's no no eminent war or anything that between China. But like, hey, that that's a concern. You can talk through that and you can read plenty of articles from a geopolitical standpoint that talk about these heightened tensions with respect to China and the US, China's interest in overtaking Taiwan at some point in time. And and those are those are variables that should go into some sort of economic model or, or um, stock pricing model, potentially. Um Meanwhile, we have all these uh, supply chain issues, but at the same time, like you highlighted, retail sales are doing incredibly well. Uh, and the employment situation here in the US continues to get better. Um, what's the Fed gonna do? The Fed is going to potentially start to at least taper or slow down is basically what that means, slow down the purchase of assets that they have been doing since you know March effectively of last year. What does that do, right? There, there are just so many forces. Which one's going to outweigh the other? And again, I'm, we're just scratching the surface there. That that the model that that you can you can try and build to reflect all this stuff. I mean, it, it's almost impossible to get it anywhere near a, a good outcome. Yeah, and I think that's an important point, right? Is that what we've acknowledged on this podcast for a long time is that the markets do they reflect all of this information, all this available information, right? And if you're one person, even a team of 10 or 50 or 100 or 1,000, right? You got these big companies that think they've got, you know, collective wisdom with 1,000 people. It pales in comparison to the to the greater entire market, all market participants, right? It's the, it's the, uh, the old jelly bean jar example where, hey, if we, you know, you go and you guess the, the number of jelly beans in the jar, right? And, and you go through even the more analytical people like you, Justin, you co- come up, you're measuring the jar, you're trying to figure it all out. I just walk up and guess, you know, <laughs> like we're both off. But together, yeah. we're probably closer. You start adding three, four, you add a you know a million people into the guessing of that jar, we get pretty darn close. That's what the evidence shows. And so as information is developed, it just brings a more, you know, a better price to, to what, you know, what our expectations could be. And I think your whole, your whole point here is let's, let's say you did get lucky and you figured out okay, the bond buying program's coming to an end. What does that mean? It probably means that the markets are going to decline. First, you have to guess that right. Are they going to decline because of that event or not? But then you actually have to nail the day, right? right. If, you, if you don't nail the day, we all know this, You know the potential peril of going through this whole market timing exercise, uh, we know the stats, but to revisit them, you know, if you would have invested $1,000 in US stocks in 1970, you know, that would thousand bucks would be worth more than $120,000 today. You just miss one day during that period. And, and the period is like 18,000, over 18,000 days. So you miss one day out of 18,000, 
Now you've lost 10 grand. You miss five days. It costs you 40 grand. You miss 15 days, 75 grand. You miss 25 days. It's going to cost you more than $90,000. That's 0.1% of the time over that period. And we're trying to predict how today's events or the news of a bond buying program is going to decline. What if I miss the one day? Let's go to something recent, right? The COVID crash. I mean, you're crazy if you thought positivity was going to come out of the COVID crash, right? Yeah. But what we know is that eventually markets are going to are going to recover. But trying to figure out when, that's crazy. So all those people that sold out because they were fearful and they're like, oh, I'll get back in when it turns around. I mean, their, their returns for the next decade are, are crushed uh, if we look at the data. Yeah, it's incredibly damaging. And I think it. I, I want to go back to your, your point about not only being right, but getting the day right. Cause, and it's not even getting the day right. You have to be, you have to be ahead of the market. Cause, cause the market, I mean, what you're seeing right now as, as the market um, goes negative for over the last two weeks is the market is taking in new information, what information it's weighing over other information. I mean, your guess is as good as mine, to be totally honest. You'll see plenty of headlines that try and explain it. And, and really, the, they're just getting you trying to get you to click on it. Um, the market is such a diverse group of companies. A simple, you know, five word headline can no in no way explain what's going on with all of those companies. But so going back to this idea of, of getting it right before the market does, that's how you would profit from this. Not just saying, hey, going back to the, the Fed, the Fed's going to taper. Okay, that's let's just assume that's my position. I could be right about that. Does the market already price that in? Is that in line with what the market is expecting? So I have to be a contrarian or take the opposite position of what the market is pricing in on that given day and be right about it, if you will, right? So it's no guarantee. Totally. Like, I, let's just say, again, I take the position that the bond's going to taper, stop buying their bond, or the Fed's going to stop buying their bonds, and it doesn't happen, you know, I, I'm I'm wrong, right? And, and I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to profit from that, obviously. So it's, 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 it's so complex. Not only is it just about being right, or, you know, assuming that someone's a company's earnings is going to be X, but it's going to, it has to be, is are there are you assuming their earnings are going to be different from what the market is going to be or the market is currently assuming right and though it's just so such a complicated and complex um, really question I guess to answer and and you could get lucky or you could get it right one time two times whatever but it, it's really important to take a step back and say well wait a second is this a repeatable process does this make sense? To, to formulate an investment process around, or investment plan around. And the data time and time again, basically just says, no, it, it doesn't. You're, 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 you're likely to be lucky a couple, uh, occasionally, but you're likely to be wrong more often than you're likely to be, be right. And then further to that, and I'll stop here, is that by, by kind of chasing your tail, making these knee-jerk reactions, you, you introduce, call it friction, into the portfolio. We talk a lot about we want to be tax efficient, and that's essentially what I'm getting at here is if you were to make a, make a trade in reaction, in anticipation of what's, what's potentially coming down the pike, and you do that often because that's just ha- how humans are wired, um, 
you're you're likely to just have a terribly inefficient tax strategy. You're going to incur gains. You're going to mm-hmm. you're going to incur short term capital gains. You know, in in all likelihood, and you're paying ordinary income on that, right? I mean, that's just you're you're giving away money by by making uh, decisions like that in the market, as opposed to thinking over decades, letting letting money compound over the long term. I think that's a great point, Justin. I know, you know, this conversation, we get fired up and I think we might even make this sound like, oh, shoot, this is scary. I don't want to participate in the market. But I think the good the good news, right, the good news of all of this is you actually can have participate in the greatest wealth building tool that that we all know, right? That's ever been created, ever been created. You get to participate in this great thing, right? The ingenuity of the world and the growth of economies and capital markets, you get to participate in all of that. So what we're talking about is more, you know, you don't have to go through the roller coaster ride. You know, the, the example of, you know, we've all been there, you're on the 405 freeway and you're like, shoot, I want to get there a little quicker. I'm going to switch to this lane. I'm going to switch to that lane. All you do is drive up your stress, right? <laughs> but you don't actually get there any faster. Uh, but the good news is, it's like, Great analogy. You, you actually could just sit in the, sit in your lane, turn on some good tunes and just chill out. Right. And you're, you're going to have a positive experience. And I think when we go back to the simple truths. Uh, I heard a, a gentleman give a presentation the other day and he hit on these things. But I think when you start to simplify, uh, understand what's going on, hey, I wanna participate in the greatest wealth building tool ever created. Uh, but I also know that there's a lot of uncertainty in the market in the short term. So you know, a good example, the S&P 500, we know that it's returned nine to 10% over, over the average over the ni- last 90 years. But there's actually few years where it performed at that level, right? And in fact, there's actually been 40 years where the returns have been greater than 20% or has declined more than 20%. So, you know, do you want to be on that lane changing roller coaster ride or do you want to participate and know that, hey, if I just accept that I'm not going to measure my success in hours or days or months, or even years, quite frankly, but rather in decades, right? And I've built my plan to make sure that I don't have to worry about the hours, the days, the months, and the years. If I have a long-term plan, I can measure things in decades. I'm just going to have a much better ride. I'm going to have a much more successful outcome. And don't let the media, don't let the media do what it does best. We all know this, especially in today's times, is that the media is there to sell us stuff, right? It's there to manipulate us, yeah. keep us on their platform. Don't let them do that. Uh, you know, pull yourself away, evaluate again, take a step back, start evaluating with long term, and just remember the importance of the plan on your investments. Everything should be centered around your priorities. Identify those with your advisor, and then allocate your money appropriately to that. And what that allows it pulls all the stress out, right? Allows you to have that investment experience that you don't have the anxiety and the stress and all the, all that comes with it. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's a, such an important point to kind of wrap up on because really at the end of the day, what that, that means is, is simply risk management. Now I think the, the term risk is misdefined or, or, uh, I don't. I, I guess confused, if you will, within the financial media and even within our own, our own industry really, what what matters from a risk management standpoint to you, the end investor, is is the permanent impairment of your money or the inability for you 
to to reach your priority. So if you have a goal that is incredibly important in the next two years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, that needs to be secured in the in the best way possible. And then your risk is mitigated by doing that. And that's how we approach uh, through a liability-driven investment philosophy. It, it's, it's really minimizing the risk to you reaching your goals and your priorities, right? And then we'll take risk where risk makes sense to take. And, and, you know, in the sense of what we're talking about here, risk can be, hey, we're putting it in equity markets, we're putting it in the private markets, and, and you're going to experience volatility. That's just what it is. But that volatility does not come into this, this really important area of your life where conversations with your advisor happen and truly gives you that better, that better experience, that better outcome. And, and at the end of the day, a, a more rewarding life, right? That's what, that's what we're here for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we went a little long today, but hope you uh, stuck with us because I think the good stuff's at the end there. Um, but as always, head over to awminsights.com and download our t- 10 key principles to investing like a pro. Uh, we'd love you to subscribe if you haven't already to the podcast, send it to a friend. That'd be awesome. Um, And until next time, own your wealth, make an impact, and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.